I've never got the pleasure of doing two sermons in a row, so that's a little different. They don't usually let me speak twice. So uh, um, I appreciated Jared's uh, PG uh, story of my life. Um, that's the uh, Disney version. It was a, a lot worse than that and uh, a lot of trials and uh, really was a product of a, um, a religious relationship with Jesus and didn't know what it really meant to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And uh, um, <clears throat> I just want to open in prayer and... Uh, it's really dear to my heart. I'm, I'm kind of brokenhearted, really, right now. I was really praying that my father would show up today. And it was my birthday a couple of days ago. And <clears throat> the only thing I really asked him for was to, to show up, you know. And, uh, and I believe his relationship with Jesus is built upon religion. There's not really a, a personal relationship there that really breaks my heart. And uh, I see how it's affected uh, my family and uh, the people that are around him. And, and so if you guys would just... Keep him in your prayers as we open up with that today. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to get into your word. God, we thank you for being a, a God that allows a, a wicked, wicked sinner like me, God, to, to be able to be redeemed and to come to a place, Lord, where I can be called your children, your child, Lord. And, and uh, God, eternally grateful that you would allow that, God. And uh, I pray that upon everyone in this room and everyone outside of this room, God, that they may experience your overwhelming forgiveness and grace and mercy and uh, that our eyes would be open to know what it really is to experience your Holy Spirit that can live, in, live inside us, Lord. And uh, we thank you for um, everyone that's in this room. And uh, we, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm uh, excited to talk about some things today that the Lord's put on my heart. Uh, I'm going to be jumping around Scripture kind of everywhere, and so uh, kind of all over the place. I'm going to be kind of landing in Second uh, Corinthians 13. Um, I've had the privilege the last uh, five or six weeks to come up here and listen to some of Jay's sermons and love what he's going through. He's going through what is the church. What does the church consist of? Why do we come here every Sunday? Uh, why do we bring our families here? What's the structure of the church? Why are, we, why are elders important? What's the purpose of elders? Um, the church is, uh, is full of imperfect people. Um, uh, what is the mission of the church? I love how he ended that one um, last week and kind of set me up. I feel like, you know, mission, what is that? Well, you know, what's the mission of the church? What do we do after we learn what the church is and what it does and how it functions. What do we do with that? And uh, he talked about the mission of the church. And uh, I just, I wanted to talk about missions all week. You know, I fought with God over and over again. You know, you know what do you think? A missionary from Skid Row that was out there on the streets for three years looking at the worst possible situations in people's lives of drugs and alcohol and prostitution and gangbanging, sex trafficking, and the endless amounts of stories of people that desperately need to know Jesus. And, uh, and I just, I couldn't go there. I 
I couldn't go there. This, this serving. Was serving to Enoch. Well, you know, I could come in here and I could show statistics. I could tell stories. You know, I could, I could tell some of the things that I've encountered eating with people that are starving, kids that are eating in dumpsters that don't have shoes or clothes. Or maybe I could go into statistics to talk about how the church is dying and 4,000 churches are going to die this year. Or I could show pictures of people like that touches people's hearts, right? Like if I do those things, like people will get excited about serving. And we see that happen so many different times with organizations that try to, to drag or to manipulate or to pull people into service. And we see it works. A lot of times it works for a week or two. And, uh, and then just fizzles out. We get back into our life routine and kind of just go back to the way we were. And uh, the Lord's give us a uh, major favor with the churches across denominational lines the last three years to be able to go into these different churches and, and, and bodies of believers and open up the scriptures and share the gospel and talk about serving. And I'll be honest with you, it just doesn't work. I don't know why. I just, I, I can't figure it out. I've sat and I've thought about it, and, and I think, well, if we can change the scripture like this, or maybe if we do this, or we show them this, and you just go there, and there's kind of this, this blank stare, and when they leave on Sunday, they forget what was said on Sunday, and they just go back into their life, and it's just really all about them. And that's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when you see the stories and you see the people that need what we've been given, and the church is the answer for that, and those don't connect. What, where it, what's going on there? And, uh, and so in the midst of preparing for the sermon, which was one of the toughest things I've ever done, I don't know why this one was so difficult. I don't, I don't know. It's just been challenging. And, uh, but I landed with a couple different pastors that had a couple quotes. And one of them you guys know is Todd. He was here a couple weeks ago, and one's David Platt. And uh, David Platt said something that really made me start thinking about the things that I've been seeing as I go into these churches. It says the North American church is the only organization that measures its success by what it does not do. Let me say that again. The North American church is the only ch organization that measures its success by what it doesn't do. Let me just put that in biblical -like language. At least we're not like those people. That's what it comes down to. We're, at least we're not by those people. Like, they've got the tattoos and the piercings. We don't. They don't dress proper. We do. They don't know how to raise their kids. We do. Their marriages are terrible. Our marriages are good. That guy's homeless. He needs to get a job. The people on welfare take advantage of the system. If we give too much to the poor, we enable them. They need to work. You see the heart behind that? You see what David's talking about in that? Like it's about self-righteousness, which David was very good about in the Bible. And Todd said something a couple weeks ago when he spoke that really stuck with me in a story. I have, I've been thinking about it forever. He said, God has a heart for the world. Why don't we? God has a heart for the world. Why don't we? I've just been thinking about that over and over. And he gives that story. He told us that story about the K-State um, guy that went to the K-State away game. You guys remember that? The guys that was all excited about the away game, and he got to the, the away game, and I don't remember, it was in Texas or something, and, he, and they dressed themselves up in purple Speedos, and they spray-painted their body and their hair, and they went and they got these letters, 
And they were going crazy. They were yelling. They were screaming, even though they were down by 42 points. And he said that the sign read family. Because those that are part of K-Star are part of the family. But this guy was frustrated because he wanted to be in the game. They're 42, point, 42 points behind, and he just wanted to be in the game. And, and Todd said, you just explained the American church, North American church. We're, we're part of the family, but we're not getting in the game. And I thought about that, and I thought about, like what he said, God has a heart for the world, why don't we? God has a heart for the world, why don't we? And I just, I really, you know what, I came to something that was really, I didn't want to talk about was maybe we're just not part of the family. Maybe the problem is, is that we just don't have a heart for the world because we really just don't have a heart for God. Maybe the reason our life consists of everything that we want to do is because we're not concerned about what God wants to do. I mean, is, it, could that be a reality? I'm seeing all these different churches that we get the opportunity to speak in, and right outside their church walls, people are dying. Every day, 55,000 people die a day without hearing the gospel. 32,000 people are going to starve to death today. What, what, what is going on? And so I came up with some verses that I think Jesus spoke directly to the heart about these topics. And I believe that he spoke to me the hardest because this was my life before I knew what it was like to have a relationship with him. And in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it says, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Not me. I'm not going to examine you. You got to examine yourself to see whether you are of the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Do you not realize that the God that created the universe is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What's the test? The Bible's full of tests. There's tests all over it. Because God doesn't want us to, to come before him on the day of judgment and think that we're going to get in because we did these things. He wants us to know without a shadow of doubt, with full confidence, that we are going to be welcomed into his kingdom and, be, and he's going to say, good job, well and faithful servant, come on in. And so I want to talk about those who failed the test first before I talk about those who passed and through some different scriptures and things. And, and one of the biggest ones that we see is Matthew seven twenty one. It says that many will come to me on that day, the day of judgment. And these are, this is what I believe are professing Christians— people that believe they have a relationship with Jesus. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not teach in your synagogues? Did we not teach on your streets? Did we not give? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal the sick? Like these are people that believe they're getting into heaven. And he says, truly, I tell you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of inequity. Like, can you imagine, I mean, just putting your place in those shoes for five seconds and hearing those words from God. Depart from me. Like, there's no, well, God, well, God, let me in. I did this, I did that. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Eternal separation from God. 
Why is it that they believed that they were going to make it into heaven, but they didn't? And we see different examples of Jesus separating the sheep and the goats. That the, the sheep were the ones that cared about the lost, those that were on the highways and byways, the ones in the prisons, the orphans, orphans and the widows. Those are the religion that God desires. You see the people that built their foundation on the sandy ground compared to those who built it on the rocky ground. The sandy grounds, the things that we want these guys. I want God and I want him to allow me to do this. I want Jesus, but I need a Jesus that's going to allow me to be who I want to be. You talk about the soils where the word of God is planted on the path, the rocky soil and a thorny soil. Persecution, deceit, wealth, greed, all these things choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And then you look at Revelations and he explains the heart of the churches and what they're going through. And he says, you're lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I want to spit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. God wants to spit them out of his mouth because they're lukewarm. The church of Ephesus, they have lost their first love. Repent and go back to what it was before. If you read in Luke 11, He's addressing the Pharisees, and it says in 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, Pharisees invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisees was surprised when he noticed that Jesus had not first washed before his meal. Then Jesus said to them, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who make the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean to you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues. Respect greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Like that's, that's a pretty serious teaching. I remember Francis Chan said once, he said, you know, if Jesus came back today, and he preached in one of the, the wealthiest communities in Simi Valley, he said, if Jesus came back today, you know that my church would be bigger than his. And I was like, why are you saying that? And he said, because most of you wouldn't be able to sit under the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus' teachings cut to the heart. To the heart. It separated us from our religious backgrounds, our traditions, the things that we think that God should do, the things that we think we should do. And it separated us from what Christ wants us to do and who he wants us to be. And I just, when he said that, it was... It, He's probably right. And you can go into more verses where Jesus would talk to the Pharisees and he would tell them that they have no love of God, that the devil was their father, that you study the scriptures diligently looking for me, but you are still unwilling to come to me. What does it mean to come to Christ? 
I think that's a pretty good example of failing the test. And Jesus lays it out very clearly what a Pharisee looks like, what the heart of a Pharisee is. It's about themselves. They care about no one but themselves. And that's, that's my testimony. For 25 years, I cared about no one but myself. Nothing was going to get in the way of me and my dreams and my idols and my expectations, my, my goals, my dreams. Even though I was still the Christian that went to church and said the three-minute prayer and was dedicated five times, like, there was nothing getting in the way of what God had, what, what I had in plan for my life. And, and through the Lord breaking my pride and my stubbornness and, and, and waking me up to what truth was, you know, I would still be in that, I'd still be in that lie. And so I think the, really to paint the picture of those who pass the test is you have to go to the gospel. You have to go to the gospel and you have to go what teaches, Jesus teaches about what the cost of being his disciple is. What's the cost of being his child? He talks about forsaking everything. Being willing to give up everything in your life. Being willing to surrender your marriage, your wife, your kids, your hobbies, your goals, your money, everything. And if you're not willing to do it, then he says you're unworthy to be his child. That's what scripture says. And so Jesus couldn't, he couldn't teach about those things unless he was willing to give us an example. If he was unwilling to walk in those shoes, he would, he would be a liar. And so he gives us an example of himself. He was God. And he sat on a throne that is unapproachable. He sat in the heavenly realms with thousands and thousands and thousands of angels worshiping him praising him and singing to him worthy 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 is the lord god almighty all the riches and things that we can't even fathom in our life he had it all and he left all of it he left it all he didn't hold on to any of it he left it all and he became just like us the human race that had rejected him and rebelled against him, what the Bible speaks of us being enemies of the cross, that every inclination of the heart was wicked. He came down and he lived amongst us. He walked amongst us. He went through the trials and temptations that we did, and he overcame them. He showed us what it looked like to be a servant by taking the position of a slave as he washed the disciples' feet. He loved the poor. He loved the stinky and the nasty. He loved the lepers. He loved the prostitutes. He loved the adulterous people. He loved the sinners and the tax collectors. And he didn't say, come to me. He went to them. He went to them. I, how do you explain that? It doesn't make any sense that we would have a God that would do something like that. That that should expose how much he loves us. Being obedient to death, even death on a cross. That he stretched his arms out for not your righteous deeds, but for our wicked deeds. For the most wicked things we've done in our life. He died for those. This is the gospel. You guys know it. You know it. You've heard it your whole life. 
John 3.16, the stories of Noah and David and Goliath and Jesus walking on the water and the fish and loaves. These are stories that we grow up with our whole life. But do we believe it? Do we actually believe it? I don't know. Childlike faith. Childlike faith. She would be the first to say yes. Amen. We see the church that blows up after Jesus is raised from the dead. They are eyewitnesses of him being buried in the tomb and raising three days later. Something in the midst of that time changed their whole life. They didn't go back to being fishermen or tax collectors. Something set them on fire that they were going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth no matter what the cost was. The willing to be hung on the cross upside down, being willing to be boiled in oil, being willing to be chopped in half, speared, beaten, persecuted, insulted, the promises that Jesus promises to us, promised us. Why did they do that? Paul says that he considers his life worth nothing. Everything in his life is like rubbish. He wants to share in the sufferings of Christ, even to the point of death. That his only goal, his only task in life is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is what his life is about. It is who he is. He serves a God whose heart is about missions and loves the world, and so was Paul's. That Paul's transformation was not some kind of religious experience, but it was an intimate and deep realization that he was a wicked, wicked man that persecuted the church. Wicked man that only through Jesus Christ could he have the redemption of his sins and become a new man, a new creation, that he could become God's child. That God would allow him to come into his presence through not what he did, but what Jesus Christ did. When we start figuring it out that this life is not about us, it's all about him. It's all about what Jesus did. Everything. The very reason we still have breath in our lungs is for the proclamation of Jesus Christ. It's the only reason we exist today is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. You see these differences, guys. Like, I mean, you, these are hardcore passages against the Pharisees. These are churches that are dying. Our world is being destroyed before our very eyes. Our schools are being destroyed before our very eyes. Our government is ignorant. They, don't, they lack understanding and wisdom. They don't fear God anymore. The church is what God instituted to take the good news out to a lost and dying world. It doesn't do any good keeping it in here or keeping it in your homes. The world is still lost and dying. But God, by God's grace, He chooses to use imperfect, imperfect, 
people, to go to our neighborhoods, to go to our jobs, to go into our families, to go into the neighborhoods of the poor and the lost and I mean, all these areas. That's our job. My question is, do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or are we setting blindly in a religious relationship with Christ that many Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses are trapped into? They believe they know God, and they would argue and fight for their beliefs. But their fruit is dead. Is your fruit and your life dead? Is it bad fruit or good fruit? Is your life all about glorifying Jesus every day? Or is your life all about yourself? And you know, I believe that when we truly grasp the gospel, we don't need to preach about serving because it just becomes who we are. We are a willing vessel to take our families and our children anywhere and everywhere, no matter what the cost may be, to tell people about what Jesus did for us. Not because we have to, because we get to. Amen? And so I just leave you guys today. I want to pray for you. I just pray that you can just examine yourself. Just examine yourself. You're the only one that knows what's in your heart. And I could tell you millions of stories of the things I did in my life that are wicked. And I could tell you millions of stories of the things God's done. But it is only through a personal relationship with Him that I'm able to even come up here and speak to you guys today. This isn't about me. It's about Him. And I want to see each and every one of you guys in the kingdom of heaven when we get to celebrate on that day when He's got that feast and everything ready for us. It's going to be an awesome party. And I don't want anyone to stand in front of God and hear, I never knew you, depart from me. And so please take this serious and evaluate yourself. This isn't to plant seeds of doubt in your life. This isn't to to get you to question your Christianity. But this is for you to examine your heart. Is my heart the one that Ezekiel speaks of in 2636? A stony heart? A selfish heart? Or is the heart that God has taken out and He's given us a new one? And He says that He'll pour His Spirit into it. And He will transform us daily. He will renew our mind daily. Our desires become Him, His. And eventually, our heart looks like that of Jesus Christ. And so, if you guys would bow your head. Lord, I thank you for this time, and uh, I thank you for your word, Lord, that you've given us this gift to be able to understand who you are, what you are, what you did, what you expect, God. And Lord, we, we need you, Lord. We need you to intervene in the church. We need you to intervene in our lives. God, allow us to be bold and fearless, God, to proclaim our testimonies to anyone and everyone around us, God. Is it worth telling people of the good news? I believe it is if we truly understand the good news. 
God, let that take root in our life and our heart. And God, let us be like you as we fall on our faces, faces and worship you for who you are, God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we just pray this in Jesus' name, amen.